One and go. All right, everybody, uh, good afternoon. Welcome to our first ever Elections Daily Beyond the Spin Girls Night In. I'm your host, Jenya Coulter, and with us are our political experts from the UK, Sarah Stook. She's an amazing writer. Please check her stuff out on Elections Daily. And then we also have Joanna Freeman Rollins, who is a complete superwoman. Not only is she a brilliant scientist, she writes about elections and politics, and she's a mom of twins. I feel like a complete slacker next to her. <laughs> So anyway, I'm sure some of you are, who were watching us are wondering, well, why Girls Night In? We decided that our hardworking male colleagues deserved a little bit of me time, and we told them that we'd take over for a little bit. And also, because politics shouldn't be just about, you know, it's not always a boys' club. You know, women run elections, too. And it might be nice to take a, thing, take a look at things from a female perspective. Yes. All right, so we're going to do a teeny tiny bit of housekeeping here. So... All I ask is uh, let's make sure we stick to our time. Uh, try not to interrupt, you know, raise your hand or sound off an air horn. Either one works. And if there's any trolls out there in the audience, we only accept top quality trolling. Please be creative. The stuff that happened on Thursday, eh, you got up your game. <laughs> All right. So what we'll be covering today are um, lessons from Brexit 2019 and how it might influence our 2020 elections here. That'll be what Sarah's covering. Um, Joanne is going to be talking about the Georgia primary, um, the impact that the fallout may have on vote by mail and minority voters. And she's going to be talking about a barn burner of a ballot fiasco in the state of Texas. I'll be looking at the primaries, especially the Georgia one from an insider's perspective and figuring out what went wrong and if anything could have been done to prevent it. And then we're going to be having our panel discussion which would be, we'll be covering the impact of COVID-19 and elections around the world, voting in the US versus voting in the UK. And we might have a little bit of time for Q&A and then we will be doing our final thoughts. So without any further ado, let's go to the fabulous Miss Sarah Stook. Hi, I'm Sarah, I'm from the UK. Um, so yeah, you can obviously tell by my accent, I'm not a Yank, but I'm very much interested in US politics. I have my notebook here filled with stats that I've been I've doing been because doing there's just nothing to do in COVID time, is that? <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm a member of the Conservative Party in the UK. I'd probably con be considered liberal by American standards because you guys have some really strange views. So like you would think I was just some wet. I'd be too right for de the Democrats, too like the Republicans. But yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate that we have an international perspective. Yes. Yes. All right. So you were you were discussing. Um, you're going to be covering the um, discussion about uh, Brexit 2019 and how do you see this impacting the 2020 elections? Well, I think definitely from like if you look at our government. Okay, it's not maybe as right wing is yours but for the uk it's pretty conservative now brexit we vote it will be four years next week since we voted for it so it's been a while and only since january has it actually been in place in january 31st 11 p.m it was official that we had left the eu though we still got a transition period now the only reason that this got through was when david cameron stepped down after brexit because he had no mandate Theresa may took over he then took us into an election in 2017 in which we did not do very well she had a very strong lead and just scuppered it with gaff after gaff that would make joe biden proud swing ourselves to 2019 trying to get brexit through you've got people saying it's not good enough smp labor opposition is like not happening get out of the way so boris does something called pro-open parliament which basically got a lot of people's head in a bit of a tiz basically kind of means stopping it for a little while and eventually he managed to get a election in come the 12th of december he got an 80 seat majority the likes of what has which has not been seen since margaret thatcher labor lost this there's a so-called red wall so similarly to how maybe you have the bible but that will be traditionally republican we have a red wall sort of going through the middle of england where it's very much working class labor 
voters. Now, this red wall was shattered. The Tories took seats they had never taken before, including my home seat of Grimsby, which has been Labour since way before I was born, for many years, and finally became blue. And he won this on the back of Brexit. To be fair, so many people on the left are also Brexiteers and are just tired of Labour just digging their feet in. And everyone got very tired of it. However, I think it's going to be more difficult for Trump because he doesn't really have a Brexit. If he had an issue, he could really push that both sides of the voters would agree on. But he can't. If you look at what's happening in Minneapolis and across with Black Lives Matter and this war zone thing in Seattle, I don't really know what that's all about. <laughs> How he ha No one is going to agree for him. People who already want to defund the police or take a demilitarised approach are already probably going to vote Democrat. And if they don't vote Democrat, they'll vote Green or somebody else. People who want safety will already probably vote for Republicans, law and order. So for Trump, it's going to be more difficult. I do have him down as winning, but only by a very small margin. And I still think he might not necessarily get the popular vote, but you never know. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Trump can follow Boris Johnson and he has more to lose because in the UK we don't have term limits and our ele your elections are set in stone every four years, every November. We had, we've had elections in 2010, 2015, 2017 and 2019. So it's wow. much more easy to move around. Yeah, because we, we had a fixed term parliament act, which would have it every five years, but then they decided to overturn it last year. It was never really official anyway. So, yeah, the... It'll be interesting, and if it will affect our, affect our special relationship, because Boris and Trump seem to get on pretty well. And if we had Jeremy Corbyn, the former Labour leader, maybe a Bernie kind of guy. So I don't think him and Trump would get on super well. But yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how it all goes down, because as a Brit, I may not know the ins and outs of it, especially state by state, because it's so... Your vote system is so different, I mean, you don't even have a monarchy, which I think is really offensive. And yeah. Uh, Sarah, I've got a question for you. The EU, are they supportive of Brexit or do they think this is an absolutely ridiculous decision? They were, if you think Trump was a shark winning in 2016, you would say nothing when it came to Brexit. There was, you had people who thought Trump would win. Barely anyone thought Brexit would win. Even the top people like Nigel Farage, who I think is doing quite a lot in the States in terms of doing tours and such, obviously not at the moment, they didn't think we'd win. And it was a higher turnout than general elections. General elections usually sit about 60%. This was about 72%. And it, people were just surprised. It was a huge shock. And the EU have sort of dug their heels in and they just don't want us to leave because if we leave and we're successful, that sets a precedent to countries like Hungary and Austria, who are very much Eurosceptic for reasons such as getting the bulk of migration, being poorer, etc, etc. So the EU is not desperately pleased. I suppose we've always been the problem child of the EU. Is that the best thing to say it? I mean, and Charles de Gaulle didn't even want to let us in in the 60s. And then we finally got in um, just before Thatcher's time. And she was pro-EU at the beginning. Then she realised it wasn't a common market anymore. And she was like, yeah, this isn't happening, guys. Do you, have any, do you have any questions for Sarah Joanna? Uh, no, but I see we have a, a question um, that has come in uh, from a viewer. Um, how much do y'all think the shy Tory factor will affect 2020? I like that question. That's a really good question because as I, I think in, I'm, I'm, I'm going to judge it by Twitter. I know Twitter's not real, but when you look at Twitter, when it's majority, maybe younger liberal people, being Republican is like the biggest sin of all time. They think they're pure evil, especially when associated with Trump, which is kind of crazy because Trump's not even always been a Republican. Mm. But in the UK, yeah, the shy Tory, they um, happened in 2015. So for our viewers who don't know, from 2010 to 2015, we had a coalition government. The first time that's happened since the war um, where Conservatives had the most votes but not majority so joined with the Liberal Democrats who are a centre-left, centre very much pro-EU party. In 2015 the Tories managed to get a majority which nobody expected because they believed in the shy Tory factor. Might not, maybe under my generation, you know, I'm 22 so I'm one of the younger voters, 
is. My generation, especially at university, was so Labour, or anyone who wasn't Tory. If you were a Tory, you were basically the scum of the earth. So yeah, I think the Shire Tory vote worked here. Shire Republican vote, I think so. Obviously, I don't know as much about voter demographics, but I looked at how the Rust Belt and working class whites really went for Trump in 2016. And they might do it again. People might think, okay, the guy's a bit weird, but I'd rather vote for him than Biden. That's a very important, really good answer, Sarah. Yeah, and that question was from Tad, by the way. Tad is one of the one of the friends of uh, Election Twitter and Elections Daily. So thanks, Tad, for that question. Great answer, Sarah. Thank you. All right, um, Sarah. Actually, I've got a question about UK voting again. Now, do you have to? How would one go about registering to vote in the UK, or do they have do they have voter registration like we have in the US? Um, you when you're, I think it's either sixteen or seventy. I think it might be seventeen because the voting age here is eighteen. You get a letter telling you about it, and you can I think can either automatically do it, which was what I did. I did it as soon as I could, but you can get it through. Better. It's not like some countries where you like Australia where you have to vote, but. Um, I think you have to join this thing called the electoral register so that whenever that happens, you get a sort of like a pamphlet thing through the door for every election. So for 2019, telling you where to vote and things like that. So I don't know how it is in America. I imagine maybe it's easier, but we have the same issue about voter ID. Obviously, that's become a thing in America. However, I don't really think it's going to take in the UK. But I don't see it happening anytime soon. They're just asking your name. That's you know what we may we may cover that in the panel discussion. You just gave me a really good idea, Sarah. Thank you. Oh, great. Um, do you have any other quick thoughts before we go to Joanna? No, I'm just happy to be here, and yeah, I'm happy to go on to Joanna. All right. Well, we are happy to have everybody here, and thank you so much, Sarah. That was really illuminating. And let's go over to Joanna and the primary that just wouldn't die. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So Georgia voted uh, in their primary on June 9th. And um, as I'm sure everyone has heard by now, it's been declared a disaster. Everything went not according to plan. Um, but Georgia's not alone in that um, this year. Uh, Maryland has had problems. Pennsylvania has had problems. And everyone has basically come to the realization that, you know, we are not going to know the uh, election result on November 3rd. We are kind of past the days where, you know, you go to bed by 11 o'clock and you know your winner. We're, we're beyond that, especially with the pandemic, you know, going on, people voting by mail. And uh, mail voting is one major problem with, you know, how long it takes to get our election results. Um, you know, of course, there's a, a refrain from elections officials, you know, we want to get it right, not get it fast. Um, and in Georgia, uh, a record was set um, during this primary uh, for the number of uh, mail ballots cast. There were about 1.1 to 1.2 million uh, mail ballots cast, um, which that was about 24 times the number um, of, you know, mail ballots in the 2016 primary. So, you know, you had a, a very large influx of uh, voting by mail. Um, and, you know, one of the, as, you know, a, a postmortem has started to kind of take shape on, you know, what has happened, um, what happened in Georgia, <laughs> um, you know, it's been found and, you know, it's been found, of course, before in other places, but a large part of the problem as far as these long lines that we saw on Tuesday, um, you know, people having to wait five, six hours to vote. It was largely minority populations. It was the black community, the Latino community. Um, and a lot of the reason why was because they never received ballots that they requested. They never received their absentee ballots. So they had to show up and show up they did, but you know, it led to 
very, very long lines. And I know, Jenny, you're going to get more into the, the technicalities of um, the problems with the, the machinery. And, um, you know, there were problems with uh, the ballot, the scanners, the ballot scanners um, and the ballot marking devices. Uh, it was found that, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, DeKalb County, Morgan County, Clark County, and Cherokee County, um, they actually found that some votes that they incidentally found this um, when they were going through, uh, you know, some other votes that have been cast out, but because they had an X instead of a bold in area on them, um, they found that there were like 300 votes that had not been counted. Um, and, you know, that happened in these four counties primarily, but they figure if it happened there, it probably happened everywhere because, um, you know, this was a new system that was uh, put into place. This election equipment was new. Um, it was a new system that was put into place after a judge ordered uh, Georgia to fix their, you know, election infrastructure because it was, um, it was, uh, broken, for lack of better words. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, an, it was outdated and untrustworthy. So they, you know, they were ordered to replace their entire uh, election infrastructure. So they have this new system and they have uh, a new crop of, you know, people voting by mail. Um, and it primarily um, affected black voters and Latino voters negatively um, because they had to stand in these long lines. Um, so Georgia, you know, got a preview of what's to come in November. Um, not sure what the answer is there. You know, if, if they can kind of shore things up in that period of time. But, you know, not only did they have trouble with in-person voting, but they also had trouble with uh, voting by mail. So, you know, it's a They've definitely got some problems to fix. Actually, um, Joanna, I've got a question for you. Um, since you were talking about Latino voters, Gwinnett okay. County was required by the federal government to provide Spanish language signage and ballots after they had failed to do so year after year after year. Right. Um, do we know if Gwinnett County uh, was in compliance with that? That's an excellent question. I don't know right off the top of my head. Um, but that definitely is something uh, to think about, you know, because I'm I'm from southern southeast Georgia and um, we had a large Hispanic population when I lived there. And I've been here uh, since 2011. So um, and I mean, I, I even remember when I was a child that the Hispanic population was uh, fairly large. A lot of it was migrant you know, but I'm sure since, um, you know, there's a more permanent, permanent uh, uh, Hispanic population there. So that's definitely something to check on um, because I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, they obviously uh, Hispanic voters were negatively impacted in the, you know, by not receiving absentee ballots. Um, so it's hard to imagine that, you know, something as specific as, um, you know, a foreign language ballot would have made it to the appropriate people. Um, you know, if, if there was trouble, even with requesting uh, just a regular ballot and not getting it, you know, it seems, it seems like they probably would have had problems there too, but we'll have to check on it and make that's sure. Definitely, that's definitely worth something looking into. Now I used to be, I used to live in Cobb County okay. and I, and let me tell you, voting in Georgia, I'd rather yeah. vote in Florida any day. Really? Yeah. And actually um, let's, let's get to the, uh, you were talking about the uh, fiasco that's about to spill over in Texas, which is an extremely interesting story. Yes, it is. Um, Texas has had quite a year. Um, 
they had uh, their primary on March 3rd. So it was really kind of before, you know, coronavirus went boom, at least over there. You know, it was kind of, it was before everything really started to, you know, gear up and people were really, you know, going, oh, maybe we don't want to get out there and stand in line to vote and things like that. So um, anyway, uh, the at the crux of all of this, is Texas's election code and what it defines as a disability. And um, it says verbatim, a qualified voter is eligible for early voting by mail if the voter has a sickness or physical condition that prevents the voter from appearing on election day without likelihood of needing personal assistance or of injuring the voter's health. So that's what Texas's election code defines as a disability. Well, that's really where this, that's what this whole thing hangs on. You've got uh, the Democratic Party, you've got the ACLU, um, you have uh, Texas uh, Civil Rights Project. They're all saying, look, uh, COVID would fall under the standard of a disability because showing up to the polls, you know, everyone has the ability to get coronavirus. So, you know, showing up at the polls would, you know, have the potential to adversely impact a voter's health. Um, so, you know, according to that side, at least, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19 qualifies as a disability. Um, so Attorney General uh, Ken Paxton um, has been filing and appearing on behalf of the state. Well, <sighs> he has been arguing that um, a disability, according to the election code, is not an either or, either the person has a pre-existing condition or it would adversely impact their health. He's saying it's a and. So he's saying that those two requirements must be met in order to fulfill the legal definition of disability. Um, so he uh, he was uh, well. The state of Texas Attorney General Paxton were overruled in Travis County. Um, I guess that's I wrote about it. I should know. Um, uh, they were overruled in Travis County, um, and uh, then Attorney General Paxton. Um, uh, decided to file suit immediately um, in uh, district court, I believe it was. Um, but um, yes, I was district court. Um, and anyway, uh, he took that suit to district court on April 17th and um, the court agreed that uh, the state's definition of a disability, also the election code definition of a disability, was the disability and potential for for illness, um, not an either or, one or the other situation. So um, during that time when uh, uh, District Attorney Paxton was taking the case from district court um, or from county to district court. Um, he warned that people who had already voted by mail could be subject to prosecution if they were not, you know, there, I think there's four uh, standards that you have to meet in order to vote by mail in Texas or, you know, one of four. Um, so people who did not have a dis disability were voting you know, who were under 65 years of age. And that was another part of it. You know, could people who were under 65 
vote by mail, even if they didn't have a disability or even if doing so didn't put their health, like say, you know, if you're immunosuppressed or something like that, um, even if it didn't put their health at immediate risk um, from the, anything other than COVID-19, um, could uh, they, I see, I see we have another note here. I'll read it in just a second. Thank you though. Um, it says you could request one, but it wasn't sent. Um, sorry, we have the phone ringing here. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, let me get back where I was. Okay. But anyway, ultimately, um, the, sorry, the, uh, <laughs> the federal lawsuit that was, sorry, the federal lawsuit that was filed um, by the Democratic Party, the ACLU, and the Te Texas Civil Rights Project was struck down. So um, it looks like for the July uh, runoff, everyone will be either voting in person or meeting the four requirements to vote by mail. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry here. It says you could request one, but it wasn't sent for Georgia, the Spanish ballot. So the Spanish ballot, you could request it, but it was not sent. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so the thing about Texas and Georgia is they are basically, it's like the more, the more counties you have, the more problems you get. Yes. Yep. It seems like it. Cause Georgia is 159. I don't know. What's Texas? Does do you know? 254. 254? Something like that, yeah. Whoa, okay. Yeah, so 159, 254. I guess you get a lot of jurisdictions trying to kind of, you know, do their own thing, maybe have, have their own priorities, and um, maybe training is not uh, the same throughout. Maybe some places try harder than others. Uh, not sure. But yeah, I think it depends on home rule, I think, which Georgia counties don't have. They're like a little fiefdom, basically. Right. And so we'll definitely be watching to see what happens with Texas as far yes. as the because this has the potential to open up to a lot of future lawsuits as well. Yes, definitely. And that was really interesting. I mean, voting voting by mail in Texas is an area fraught with peril. Of course, so is registration. And both Georgia and Texas have something in common is that they make voting a lot more complicated than it necessarily needs to be. Yes. Um, yeah, the, um, our commenter here says, um, you could solve that in Georgia and in Texas too. Too many counties. Florida and California have a good amount. Um, uh, 65 and 67. Or no, 50, 54 and 65 and 67. Yeah. So that's, um, now we have a conversation going, but I'll, <laughs> I'll leave that, um, I'll leave that there. And, uh, but yeah, it's definitely a really interesting, um, interesting situation on, on both fronts. And from an election official's perspective, the last thing you want is for an election to be dramatic or interesting. If it's dramatic and interesting, something went wrong. <laughs> and we'll, I'm going to move on. We're going to move on to. Um, so what did exactly happen in the Georgia primary? And it was a perfect storm of things that were some parts preventable and in other things. I don't think anybody could have honestly foreseen it last year. I mean, most people did not have global pandemic on their bingo card. And the reason I know this is I wound up reading. 28 election emergency disaster preparedness manuals. Thank you to everybody who sent them to me. I love you. Not one of them brought up the possibility of a global pandemic. Also, none of them brought up the uh, potential for uh, civil unrest or mass scale protesting that might have had an effect on voter turnout and how voters, voting supplies get delivered to the polling places. So those are two things when the EAC rewrites their manual for disasters, definitely bring those two in because there's things that we could have been doing, but we didn't know that that was going to be the case. And then there's other things where in Georgia's case specifically, 
they should have known better and it's going to require a complete overhaul. Now, on the plus side, Georgia did have no excuse absentee voting. However, in Fulton County in particular, there were serious problems with processing all of the ballot requests. Um, unfortunately, um, Fulton County, one of their main registration people passed away from COVID-19, God rest her soul. And so that office was dealing with the shock of losing one of their most valued workers. And I'm pretty sure between that and everybody worrying about getting COVID, office morale, probably not that high. But at the same time, you know, it's the show, the election's the thing. And they really did need to get those ballot requests out. Because if you don't get your ballot, guess what? You have to go vote in person. And so in Fulton County in particular, um, everybody had to go vote in person. Now, what was interesting is not every county had this problem. Um, DeKalb County, their absentee ballots seem to have been coming in, getting sent out and coming in just fine. Although I do wish they would make up their mind how many ballot requests they had and how many ballots were actually sent out because it's really messing with my math. Um, Cobb County didn't really have many problems with vote by mail. And one of the things I'm very proud of is Bibb County had an 84% ballot return rate. Wow. For a mid-sized rural county in Georgia, that's really good. Yeah. And so I will give I will give a huge round of applause to Bibb County. You did really well on your vote by mail. Now, vote by mail is one of those things. It's an integral part of elections because for overseas or military voters, they have to vote by mail. There's they don't have that many options. So if that pro if that part was good and they had no excuse absentee voting and a relatively high, like 40% VBM turnout, those election departments were probably ready. The ones that are just now emphasizing vote by mail, it's gonna be an uphill battle because you don't know how good your bones are until you actually put some stress on them. And with VBM, it's all about how can you get the, these ballots printed, processed, shipped out and tracked, and can you do it in time? There's only a finite number of ballot of people of um, companies that can print ballots, and it's basically ten thousand election jurisdictions competing out for maybe ten to twelve ballot printers. You can imagine that that makes things kind of hectic about mm, month and a half before an election. Now, Stacey Abrams um, mentioned that when she was trying to return her vote by mail ballot, her return envelope was accidentally sealed shut. Never heard of that happening before, but you know, I'll just put it in my collection of everything that can go wrong with vote by mail that that will. Now, peeling stick might not be a bad might not be a bad investment for um, election jurisdictions that are in really humid counties like Florida or Georgia, but it will drive up the printing costs because the envelopes are the most expensive and complicated part of printing out vote by mail ballots. And for the in person voting, oh boy, I feel bad for those poll workers. Um, they did not get that much hands-on training with the exception of the counties that, I think Gwinnett was one of them, that were pilot testing in 2019. So they didn't have an excuse. They actually got a chance to work with the equipment. Most of the poll workers on election day didn't get much training at all because of the COVID pandemic and them having to move out the primary for three months. And you really do need, for election equipment, you do need some hands-on training. I mean, if I threw an aardvark at you, you'd be like, what am I going to do with this aardvark? Because you've probably never really dealt with an aardvark in person. The same thing happens with ballot marking devices that are a brand new system because they're used to the old machines. The new machines are kind of like, okay, these have a lot of moving parts. Where does everything go and what does it get plugged into? And the um, vendor, they had these personal ballot cards that you had to put into the ballot marking device to activate it. They really could have put a sticker on which, whichever side was supposed to be up because the poor poll workers just kept putting the cards in the wrong way and it wasn't doing anything. And unfortunately that's by design to prevent tampering. So, I mean, I really do feel bad for the poll workers. Mm -hmm. And there were not enough of them. Um, there were some precincts, uh, the Cross Keys precinct in DeKalb County. Normally that's a precinct of around 1600 voters. They had to consolidate five polling places. So it was 16,000 voters Normally, it would have been a crew of 12 poll workers. They had four. Four for, six, for a projected 16,000. 
And they only had, I think they had eight ballot marking devices, three of which were out of commission, and their electronic poll books were having trouble booting up. And electronic poll books are a really fickle thing. I teach people how to set them up, operate them, and shut them down. There are certain steps that have to be followed, and you have to follow these things in order. Otherwise, they won't work. And since there wasn't much hands-on training and the poll worker manual really didn't explain that you have to do these steps in order, I'm not surprised that there were so many problems with a lot of the equipment. I've, although I do think it's a little asinine to blame the poll workers. They really didn't get the level of training that they needed when they needed it. They did the best they could under really messed up circumstances. And I hope Georgia has learned an object lesson. Ballot marking devices draw a lot of power. They can brown out a building. And there will never be enough of them for the number of voters that are showing up. I mean, you will only be able to have a finite number of people voting per time. If you have paper ballots, you could have 35 voters voting at the same time. And your, main, your election work, the main, the most of the election workers will just be getting people checked in presenting their ID and then giving them a ballot and saying, fill out the oval, go to the one of the booths over there. But in Georgia, you have to go check in. And then what you need to do is after you present your ID and they check you in, you have to go over to the ballot marking device. They have to insert some sort of card to get, to get it to activate. You have to make your selections on the touch screen. And then, and by the way, this, the ballots, these were huge ballots for by Georgia standards. They had at least 40 contests in some of the counties. Mm -hmm. And, that's going to take a while to put in everything on the touch screen. Then you have to make sure your selections are correct. Then you can hit print and you're still not done. After that, little, uh, the uh, ballot with a little QR code comes out. You have to go over to the optical scanner, put that ballot in. Then you get your voted sticker and you can leave. That's there's really paper ballots are a much more streamlined process than the ballot marking devices. And of course, like any machine, sometimes it goes on the fritz. They have a, um, these specific devices had a 19 volt input voltage and some of the older buildings that were polling places, guess what? They can't handle it. It draws a lot of power and they've had, and they had machines start flickering there too. Line management is a key thing when you're a poll worker. If you can't keep the line moving, you probably shouldn't be a poll worker. And a lot of those poor folks were in line for hours on end. And that was part of it was because there was an emergency ballot paper ballot rule. I don't think it was clearly explained to anybody because those voters should have been entitled to vote an emergency paper ballot, have it get put in an envelope, and then it gets adjudicated manually. That was not happening on election day, especially in the larger counties. And they didn't give anybody enough backup ballots to start with. You have 16,000 people in this mega precinct and only 20 emergency ballots. Yeah, <laughs> I get 25. That was just like, oh, my God, really? You know, those and it's like the voters suffered. The poll workers definitely suffered. And the county and the secretary of state's office are in a gigantic blame game. And it's like, cheer up, folks. Plenty of blame to go around. This was not only a systemic failure. This was a logistical failure. And the voters paid the price for it. And Georgia really does need to. I think it would be wise to reevaluate some things. And also, I really wish they had, it's like the vendor, to their credit, they send, they deployed techs all over Georgia. But the thing is, there's only 175 techs in 159 counties. You tell me why, where there was a little bit of a bottleneck with the equipment issues. Yeah. And to be fair, not every place had them. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Fulton, DeKalb, Gwinnett were, had some of the worst problems. Strangely enough, Clayton County, which is a majority black county, didn't report that many problems and the weights were perfectly reasonable. And the poll workers were able to get most of their training done in time. So I salute you, Clayton County. You did pretty well. Um, Cobb County didn't really have too many problems. Lowndes County had, a, had did really well. And for, so did Forsyth. And even Bibb, they had a couple of minor glitches in the morning, but everything was smoothed out by about 10 a.m. Now, the impact of the protests, you have to deliver your election supplies, except for maybe, well, in my case, paper ballots, but this isn't in this case. Election supplies get delivered to the polling place generally the night before the election. 
with the areas that had a lot of protests, such as Fulton, they were worried, I think, about the security of both the polling places and the equipment, because if anything happens to that equipment, it's critical infrastructure. You've got to keep an eye on it. So they wound up doing these deliveries at the very last possible minute, and there were precincts that were open for an hour before they even got supplies. That's not a great way to, to foster trust with your voters. Um, Gwinnett County had a really interesting excuse. They said that uh, the, new, the new machines didn't stack like the old ones, so they couldn't get them in the truck the same way. They got those machines in 2019. They were a pilot test county. Not buying that, not buying that explanation at all. And this is something that they should have done a practice run for. You know, it's just, all it is is 3D Tetris. And there were, there were some, and Gwinnett County had the most forgotten ballot scanners. How do you forget a ballot scanner? That's the one thing that no matter whether it was paper or a ballot marking device, you needed. So there was definitely some logistical concerns in many of the counties. And the thing is, Georgia got extra time to prepare. Anybody who had their primary in early March didn't get that time, and there weren't all that many problems, at least compared to Georgia. Georgia got an extra three months, so can they justify that? You know, were they preparing with that three extra months they were given, or were they just hoping nobody would come vote, or multiple ballot fairy would get everybody a ballot? <laughs> All right, so now we are going to move on to our panel discussions, unless we've got any questions. Um, let's see, uh, Gerald Leroy. Uh, hey, Gerald. <laughs> uh, this is more of a comment, um, uh, but he mentioned that Bordeaux has passed over 50% in, in the Georgia 7 primary. Um, still votes to be counted, but looking good for her. Cool. So. And I will say, involved. Um, by the way, shout out to my one of my followers, Ms. Angela Mayfield. She won her primary for uh, house for the house district. I think it was uh, fifty four. Was it forty five? Either way, congratulations, congratulations, Angela. We love you. All right, so we are going to go on to our panel discussion, and so we are going to be talking about the impact of COVID on elections around the world. So, which one of you wants to be the first victim? Sarah, you feel like uh, feel like going at it again? Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Well, okay. our elections are um, postponed until next year. So, unlike you guys who are, like I said, certain, so not even a civil war could stop you guys, which I have to say is, having <sighs> just listened to a civil war podcast, I'm impressed, to be quite <laughs> honest. Um, as are done until next year, so we have council elections. I'm not really sure what the equivalent is in the US, but basically represents your local areas, so it's like your bins or your trash or your potholes. And then a few mayoral elections. So the mayor of London, who has not got a big fan base around the country, you either love him or you hate him. Um, I'm not in an area that has an elected mayor. It's purely ceremonial. So, yeah, that's all being delayed by a year, which isn't ideal, but the councils are pretty set in stone. And, yeah, it's not that much. It would be more of an issue if it was, like, a general election. But it's mainly fine. I think Brits are sort of more okay with staying indoors. As I've seen, Americans don't really like being told what to do. But in the UK, we just sort of put our hands up and went, we've got no real choice. But So I think, yeah, people are more okay with staying indoors. Personally, I wouldn't have minded voting because I think, well, I mean, the younger generation, but you never know who's got it. So I think it was definitely the right thing to do. But, yeah, so I think we're delayed by another year. But like I said, we've got protests and Brexit and all that's to sort out. So it gives us a little extra time to work out what on earth is going on. Yeah. Um, um, what, did you, what have you noticed, Joanna, in your area about how people feel about um, voting as far as, you know, are they worried about contracting COVID while voting or no? 
Um, well, I live um, on the, the western, uh, the mountainous side of Virginia. Um, so I think attitudes over here may be a little bit different in, you know, the harder hit areas up like around, you know, D.C. and, you know, the eastern shore. Um, so I think, you know, overall, yeah, Virginia's done a, a pretty decent job of, um, you know, preparing and, and trying to get ahead of, of, you know, COVID and handling, you know, the public health aspect of it. Um, it certainly could have been done worse. Um, so, you know, um, I still think that um, we have a, a long way to go with coronavirus. Um, I I really feel like you know we're at a point right now where it's it's being um, it's almost like it's something that's out of fashion that people are just tired of. So you know we're going to pretend like it no longer exists. Um, and you know a lot of people seem to be of the you know under the impression um, early on, at least back during the spring when we were you know, really first starting to feel the effects of the virus, um, people be yeah, ten, tended to be under the impression that um, once, once it got warmer, that somehow the heat would, you know, really play into it and we would see a poof, you know, it's gone. But, you know, as you see right now, Arizona is one of the, you know, one of the states in which the, the case numbers are rising the fastest. Um, and I, I, I know that it's above 100 in Arizona right now um, on most days. So uh, heat hasn't really <laughs> hasn't really played played out to you know what it was supposed to be. So you know I don't know that people here are quite as worried, um, you know, at least on this side of the state. Um, but I think that it's, it's definitely a concern, um, in more populated areas because where I am, you know, we are so spread out and of course, you know, participating in an election necessarily brings you closer, but, um, I don't know that a lot of people think that way. Um, so, you know, it may be something that remains to be seen, um, you know, as, as people who aren't quite as politically uh, in tune and, and as driven uh, to think about it and, you know, discuss it, you know, perhaps it remains to be seen how most people here feel about it, if they're actually concerned about it. Because some people just aren't really, you know, thinking ahead very much, um, uh, as far as I can tell. So, um, now I know that, in the fifth district, speaking of primaries and how people feel around here, uh, in the fifth district, um, in the race between uh, Good, who forgot to file, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, Riggleman, um, they're actually having a drive-through primary at Bob Good's church. So. Uh, Perhaps. Let me know how that goes. I'm interested in this. Oh yeah, I'm interested in it too. I, I think it's um, it, it's a a sad commentary um, on why uh, Denver Riggleman is being primaried. I think it's pretty pretty sad commentary. I'm right next door to the fifth. Um, basically, over over the mountain range is the fifth district. So um, I'm right here next to it, front row seat. <laughs> But hopefully people will take it seriously as we head uh, toward, you know, closer to, you know, we have primaries here in Virginia coming up. Uh, some areas like the 7th District, um, you know, those are a little more, uh, uh, those are a little more populated and a little more populated areas as kind of suburbs of Richmond. So, you know, we have some primaries in places that are, you know, pretty, pretty populated. So we'll see how it goes. Um, and you know over here i don't know this is a totally different world on this side of the state than uh, you know closer to washington
So as with, as far as voting in person, if you if you have to vote by person for the pri for the you know the primaries, please wear a mask and gloves. The poll workers will really appreciate it. Exactly. I'm, I'm actually making masks for my team for August, just because I want them to make. I just want to make sure that they can stay safe. Yeah. Um, because the vast majority of poll workers are elderly. I mean, I'm one of the extreme statistical rarities in that I'm a poll worker under 40. So we really want to keep our poll workers healthy because there's only about 1.6 million of us and there's about 260 odd million voters. Yeah. So yeah, every poll worker counts. Yes. And as far as vote by mail, if you're going to seal your envelope, use a sponge, please don't lick it. We don't know how long, I don't know how long it lasts on, on the glue and we don't want to risk anybody who's going to be opening up the ballots to get sick. All right, so we are closing in on our final part. And so do we have any questions or our four final thoughts here? Um, let's see. Tad, I believe that is, um, says that the conventional wisdom is that good um, over in the 5th District of Virginia has a big but not insur insurmountable advantage. Um, and I'm not sure where uh, where we end up. I know the, the Republican Party of Virginia uh, filed a, a letter um, pleading to, to have an extension um, for uh, Freitas and Good to uh, file their paperwork because they both missed the deadline. Um, so, uh, and yes, that is Tad that, that um, gave us the comment on Bob Good. Um, so that's one final comment we have. Um, and Jenya, you mentioned uh, Bibb County in Georgia, um, mm -hmm. having what, 80, was it 84%? From my, yeah, from my early math, it looked like an almost 84% return rate. Now, okay. granted, they only sent out about 25,000 ballots, but still the fact that so many of them got returned was really impressive. Yeah, and that's Macon, right? Isn't that Macon, the city? Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. so, Macon's in kind of, Macon kind of straddles uh, Forsyth and Bibb counties. Okay. And for by the way, Forsyth had an absolutely fantastic election for the most yes. part. Yes. And they're, but you know what? They're an election department that gives a damn about their voters. Right. I've read the election board meeting notes. They gave me faith in government and public service again. They really did. That's good. That's really good. Um, I have a question. Uh, well, I, I have a question. I have a question for Sarah, if that's okay. Um, Sarah, how is um? Donald Trump, President Trump's, uh, how is he viewed in the UK overall? Um, a lot of scorn. People really don't like him. You've got your odd few. Well, I think most of the UK think he's a whole bat crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not, like, because like I said, the politics is so different here. So yeah. you've got like the Republican Party who want like, say, I don't know, like abortions at six weeks. That would never in a million years fly here. Right. Ever. Your politics is so much more skewed. So when he talks about immigration with the wall, um, the ban on Muslim majority countries, people are just like, that's racist. Yeah. So he's, he's not not a big fan. I think the sort of closest version is Nigel Farage and he's right. never really had that much electoral success. If you don't, oh, it's done well in the um, EU elections, but he's never, he's tried seven times for a parliamentary seat and he's never won. So, much more complicated. Like, it is. all the stuff you have to do, all I have to do is I get a thing through the door which I don't even have to take with me, pop to the polling station, say my name, get a ballot, cross a paper, bam. Yeah. Your guys are just so complicated. I feel sorry for you guys. Yeah. Up in American politics, your voting system is just astoundingly. You know what? Though we do, they say that the average voter in Los Angeles County will vote on more contests in one election than the average UK voter will vote on in their entire lifetime. Wow! It, yes, elections I are. I don't think we vote for that much. 
because like you you had like um you have like proposition because it wasn't the proposition eight about same-sex marriage mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's yes it was there's propositions for everything because of citizen-backed ballot initiatives and then there's all those weird little local races and then of course the california you know the, the assembly and the state senate and i mean california really has a lot of contests and I do not miss those horrible ink vote ballots where like, we had, we had a governor's race that actually had 131 candidates that we had to slog through. Oh. 131. Yeah. Anybody who's a huge proponent of ranked choice voting, I always smile and I say, okay, let's RCV, rank them, rank all 131 candidates in the California gubernatorial election. If you can do that, then yes, we are ready to move to an all ranked choice voting election. We vote about four things, and it's usually not all at once. It's usually across different years. So yep. it's, voting for, well, I suppose you guys are quite a lot bigger than us, population well, and size. Well, all of our jurisdictions are separate. You know, there's about 10,000 separate jurisdictions, and with the exception of Georgia and Colorado, the counties basically have. A considerable amount of control over how their elections are run. Mm -hmm. You know, the Secretary of State sets the basic rules and then the counties can, you know, can devise their own and pick their own equipment. Georgia, unfortunately, is not one of those states, though. Georgia, the state actually got to select every county's equipment. And I think had the, the counties been given more autonomy, maybe the counties would have made different choices or moved to paper ballots, which would have saved them a lot of headache. I think Athens Clark County got in a little bit of trouble because they switched to uh, paper ballots and the courts didn't like that. I think Athens Clark County deserves a round of applause for trying to stand up for themselves. Yeah. And Jenya, you know, you mentioned uh, how do people feel about voting uh, in Virginia. Um, another thing, you know, all this talking about voting in Georgia because I voted in Georgia for a long time. Um, and now I vote here in Virginia, you know, we have hand-marked paper ballots and, you know, we go in, we identify ourselves, they check us in and everything. Um, and then we take our ballot, fill it in, hand it to, you know, well, actually we go up to the scanner and there's someone standing there and says, you know, hey, okay, make sure you put it in this way. And we put it in and zip, that's it, it's gone. And we leave. So, you know, it's been such a different experience voting here than what it was in Georgia. Um, it was it, it was wild there. You know, you got the card and you're like, I don't know. It's just it was so strange how you know voting there was. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd add that in since you since you asked how how people felt at least about COVID. I'm not absolutely sure um but you know uh i have a feeling that varies a lot the you know the fears and uh, some people it's a hoax and other people are going no it's not <laughs> um and it you know i i'm definitely of, of the belief that it is not um and a virus doesn't care if you get sick of it it's going to stick around until it's um eradicated or you develop immunity to it so uh you know, at least as far as procedure, things are much easier here. All right, so we've got one minute left, and do we have any final thoughts? Yeah, you guys, elections are, and I also, also think the way you choose your president is strange, because here, it's only the party members that can vote, so when we had one last year, when Theresa May last, I got a little ballot through the door with the two final options, so the MPs voted through it first. I couldn't, I didn't like either of them, so I just wrote in Nikki Haley and Jeb Bush. But yeah, I find your sort of, because um, a friend messaged me about it because it had an essay about it. And I was thinking actually, yeah, it is a very bizarre system. I suppose that America might be very unique in that regard in terms of how they do elections. Well, I think every country is quite we're, unique. We're weird. Yeah, we are. and. I don't understand why we haven't gone as large of a country as what we are. I don't understand why we have, we've not made some effort, but I, I think I know why, but I don't understand why we haven't made some effort to go to an online 
based system. Um, secure it reasonably well enough. There's too many, there's too many potential, there's too much potential for mischief. Really? We might be able to do it someday, but we're just not there yet. Not there. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. You guys are just catch us as your overall rule is instead of throwing a paddy and throwing tea in the Boston Harbour. <laughs> catch us. The Queen, she doesn't do all this mischief. She just sits there and what is cool, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you guys should have kept us. <laughs> I'm sure there's still a few of us who would fight for Queen and Country if they asked you to invade you for whatever reason, even though your military is like mo so much bigger than us. Yeah. All right. Well, it was all right, everybody. It looks like we're wrapping up because I promised we wouldn't take more than an hour. Sarah, thank you so much for um, coming to joining us, giving your international perspective. Please come thank back you. with the last We love you. Joanna, thank you so much for thinking my harebrained idea actually had some merit and handling <laughs> the tech support. You are awesome. Um, this was a great time. And by the way, uh, thank you, audience, for tuning in and not trolling us. We really yeah. appreciate it. Also, if you, like, if you like us, please let at Elections Daily know so we can do future, so we can do some more of these in the future. Yes. And Definitely. with that. Um, we had a great time on the girls' night in. Thanks everybody for watching, and hopefully we'll get to see you another time. Thanks yes. so much. Bye bye. Bye. Hope safely. Bye.